Hey everybody, how you doing? Hey, Coach Matt here. Here we are in the middle to towards three quarters of the way through the December of 2021 now. Ha, jeez, man. This year for me, I don't know about for you, is a total blink. It's just, seems like it was just January. It just, I don't know, it just flew by, it really did. Hey, uh, this week we are talking about citrus. And for some of you, maybe even half of you, maybe you can't grow citrus. But there are, uh, there are some options, and we're going to discuss those today. So to start off, you know, have you checked the price of a single lemon in the stores lately? I did today, and it was 50 cents. 50 cents for a single lemon. Limes were slightly better. I think they were like, I don't know, three for a dollar maybe depending on where you live, obviously. I was actually trying to find how much a lemon cost up in Anchorage, Alaska, and I couldn't find one in the time frame that I needed. But, bet you it's more than 50 cents. Have you ever been able to sample a fresh squeezed orange juice for say like uh, holiday mimosas or Christmas breakfast or New Year's breakfast or any of those little times when you got friends and family over and you have something just a little special. I will tell you this from first-hand experience. Nothing, and I mean nothing, from the store to the dude on the corner of the county road selling a bag of oranges, nothing from the store or those places compare to the flavor of a fresh orange or any citrus off the tree or tree slash bush. I guarantee it. It is light years difference. Light years. Anyway, let's talk about citrus today. Their uses, care, landscape prowess, and yumminess. Hey, thank you. Thank you for being with me today. Happy holidays. Let's get this one going, shall we? Hey, I'm Matt. You can call me Coach. Every Friday I bring with me landscape DIY education, concepts and theories, ideas and solutions so you guys can go out and tackle a landscape project yourself, get professional results, save a whole lot of money in the process, and in this day and age be a lot more self-reliant. Man, after a 20 plus year career in the green industry, I'm bringing with me a lot of knowledge and experience that I want to share with you guys the new, modern, educated, self-reliant homeowner of today. You know, for the, the most part, if you look at other YouTube channels or if you look at things uh, on the interwebs, you will find that uh, where I used to live in Zone 9 was kind of the, the northerly limits for citrus. Now, I was in the Central Valley of Northern California, and it was uh, considered as a norm right there where you could end up success or failure, depending on what kind of a winter or what kind of a summer or what kind of soil you had. At Weed Patch Ranch, where uh, Maestro and I lived before we sold, I had several citrus on the property. Uh, I had Valencia oranges, Washington navel, one of my favorites of all time, the Owari Satsuma Mandarin. Um, another great one is the Improved Meyer Lemon, Dancy Tangerine, the Robertson Orange, the Blood Orange. 
and my other final two that didn't produce as well as I would have liked them to, but the Bear's Lime and the Variegated Eureka Lemon. Kind of a, a small but respectable representation of edible citrus that really worked well for us. The harvest was somewhat staggered at various times of the year. The Valencia came on in, in a little different time than the other oranges. Uh, the Owari came on around uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. The Meyer lemon kind of put it out all year long. They always had you know, a few on there with the heavier crop in the cooler part of the year, generally around February. All of the citrus that I had on Weed Patch was a, a true dwarf citrus, one that's grafted on a growth retarding rootstock. And it, yeah, we never really had anything that was over six feet. Some of the oranges were pushing six feet, and every once in a while, the Eureka lemon, it would throw a water spout or so that would get up over six feet. And we'll talk about water spouts in a minute. So my question to you is, where you are at, wherever you're listening, can you grow citrus? Have you grown it? And if so, were you, you know, where was your success scale? I'm curious to know, I really am. Over on the, the YouTube channel this week, Drop me a comment, or you can always email me at youryardcoach at gmail.com and let me know where, where are you at on a scale of one to 10, one being epic fail and 10 being you're now sharing with the whole neighborhood. I'm just kind of curious. Many folks that uh, think they cannot grow citrus due to their zone, maybe they're in zone six and they know they're gonna drop down into the teens or single digits and you just can't do it there. Well, I, I got some options for you, but many don't consider those options as well. They just go, nah, citrus, I gotta buy it at the store. You know, when I speak of options, I, I really, I'm talking mostly about container-grown, container-grown citrus, the true dwarf varieties, uh, and you make them portable. Uh, you make them portable to where, A, you've created a, uh, a structure, or B, you sequester them inside during the winter months in a sunny southern exposure window and you kind of acclimate them a little bit from coming outdoors to indoors and you can and i have seen i have seen citrus grown outside and then inside in missoula montana in uh, the upper reaches of vermont and new hampshire i know it can be done i i know it can be done it just depends on how much you want it. When I speak of those options, you have to uh, do a little bit of research first. Do a little bit of research and find out what that particular citrus really wants and needs. Uh, there are some, like the like the Awari Satsuma and the Clementine Tangerines. Those guys, they actually prefer uh, that temperature that gets down into the, the 30s and even sometimes the high 20s in order to put a zing and a fructose burst into their fruit. Out in California, where uh, Maestro and I used to live, we had those clementines, and they were grown up in the foothills east of Sacramento. And they really thought that their fruit was the best if they had a few cold nights leading up to harvest. And they were, they were good stuff. Sometimes they were a little seedy, kind of like a dancy tangerine, but they were, they're good and they were sweet. You know, for me, where I came from, 
Occasionally, temperatures would dip into the high 20s. I can remember at Wheat Patch, I think maybe 24 was the coldest we ever had. I was more worried at that time about irrigation pipes and well exposed well pipes than I was the citrus. I threw a few blankets and a couple sleeping bags and some frost blanket over them and I knew they'd be good. Even if they got tip burned, I knew they were gonna be okay. But for the average, I think temperatures were in the mid to high 30s, low 40s, you know, and those temperatures generally only lasted for a couple of months. And that was the, the low low of the night, not the it stayed at 35 and stayed there for six hours. And then in the summertime, my gosh, we'd, we'd get up to like 105, 107 at times. So you can see that the citrus can really tolerate a wide range of temperatures, but there's certain things that they do not do. You know, when citrus gets below 50 degrees, they kind of go semi-dormant. And when it gets above 95 or 100 degrees, they go dormant. They just don't produce much. They kind of go into a, a suspended animation, if you will. And then when temperatures kind of moderate a little bit, they come back to life and they start throwing blossom and they continue to do fruit or whatever it might be. The, the soil that I had, that I had to contend with at uh, Weed Patch, we had kind of a rocky, clay, loamy type of soil. Honestly, on a scale of one to 10, it was probably about a four. It wasn't that great. And so I had to do a lot of amending, a lot of amending and correction of pH. Most citrus is gonna like a pH somewhere around 5.5 to seven for the most part, it'll be okay. It doesn't want a high alkaline soil. And really, if you get down into the 4.5 and five, it's almost too acidic. So you kind of have to do a little soil test and check that out. But my amending used to be like a 50% mix with compost and native soil. Then I would always mix in some ironite. Uh, ironite is stuff that brings iron back to the soil. And then I used a little peat moss, little mycorrhiza, and some organic citrus food. And it worked out really well. <laughs> I was very impressed. I didn't, I didn't have citrus that was really chlorotic with the, you know, the yellow leaves and greeny veins type of thing. No, I didn't have that. I would generally do feeding like around two times a year. I would uh, always use ironite when I did feed to keep the iron level up because they're just iron hogs. They love iron. It keeps them very, very green. I did mulch around the root zone all the time with a commercially productive mulch, a decorative mulch that I used to use in the landscaping as well. And I, during the growing season, during the heat of the summers, I would probably have uh, they were always on a drip system, so I would say they probably got water twice a week and for about 40 minutes each time. And I found that they did very well as long as they weren't saturated. They didn't like a soggy, soggy soil. So I would kind of judge it like on the old second knuckle test. If, if it was hard and dry on the top two inches to your second knuckle, then generally it was probably time to water. And I just kind of learned that what they needed and that was generally about twice a week. During the springtime, I didn't water. And generally winter, I did not water. But if we had a, the summertime and then a dry fall, I would continue to water. I would just cut it back as temperatures dropped. When it came to pruning, pruning was a uh, generally a, a once a year, a once a year type of thing. And I, I did it for uh, airflow, 
going through the plant. I did it for sunshine, getting to the interior of the plant without burning anything. And then uh, I also did it to remove water sprout or anything else that sometimes, some varieties. And the one that I had was the variegated Eureka. That thing always wanted to throw water spouts, no matter what I did, no matter, no matter what I did, it threw water spouts. And those things would grow up six, eight feet, and I'd have to prune them all the way off. And water sprouts are those growths that come from the base of the tree or the base of the plant uh, below the graft, and they do nothing but just rob nutrients and energy from the plant. So if you do happen to get into it, know that and know that they should come off as soon as you see them. That way, energy will be going where you want it and also mitigate uh, disease intrusion and aphid you know aphid love that really soft new citrus type of uh, foliage that comes out especially on water spouts i'll tell you one thing that'll make it a lot easier and that is using that true dwarf varieties make all these care steps and tasks so much easier because they're right at eye level you know, when you first put them in the ground, they may be only 24 inches tall, but they're not gonna get over seven feet tall as a rule, as a rule. And you can keep them pretty much to whatever size you want. Consider pruning into a structure that is tough and durable for hanging on to fruit. Many times the younger trees, you'll get a, you'll get a fruit set at the end of a stem and maybe you'll have two oranges or three lemons on a dinky little stem and all of a sudden it's like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree and it just bends right over to the ground. And sometimes you should go in and kind of thin the fruit out a little bit. And then later on, maybe that particular little branch is gonna to have to go bye-bye because you're gonna want something that's more horizontal and upward as far as strength goes. If you weren't gonna go do a true dwarf citrus, then maybe uh, consider a standard size tree, but only if you have the space those trees get pretty good size and they're the, the type of trees that are grown commercially and man i can remember a, a house that i had in my old hometown i had a ruby red grapefruit and that thing had to have been 25 plus feet or more when i first bought the house and that tree got a, a radical pruning i probably took a third of the tree off after a, a fruit harvest and then I nipped and tucked all the new growth, the secondary growth that wanted to pop out in the center. And by the time it was done, it was one of, I think, oh, I'll take that back. I know in my backyard at that time, it was the most beautiful tree that I had. Hands, hands down, it was. It had great scaffolding. It had really good look to it for uplighting. And then when the fruit came on and the yellow, yellow red blushes of the, the fruit, when it was lit up, and it was such a sturdy tree. I can remember my kids when they were younger, they loved climbing that damn thing. You know, I put a nice seating area underneath it and it was just a, a nice environment over there in the back corner of the yard. Damn, those were great grapefruits. <laughs> I really miss those. I know Maestro does too. Now, as far as landscape use, I think citrus, dwarf or standard, really can not only high, make a highly productive shrub or tree, but also be very, very attractive and an elegant addition to the landscape. You know, with shaping and pruning and patience, maybe some lighting at night and being an evergreen, they really provide year-round interest and year-round landscape value, they really do. 
Now, whether you grow them in the ground or you grow them in container, you know, either way, they're just a great addition. They're a great evergreen addition to the landscape. But holy cow, back to uh, the top of the show for a second. Lots of fresh, off the tree goodness, after you wash them, of course, is quite a treat for most folks. You know, a lot of folks, they're just store-bought, store-bought raised type of uh, citrus people and fruit in general. And the taste, oh my God, what a difference. A very big, big difference, especially if you let them ripen completely. Just because they turn color does not mean that they're ripe. A natural harvested citrus will need to be tested by sacrificing one or two and taste testing it. And you will know the difference between a very acidic, unripened piece of citrus and one that has all the fructose and sugar placed in it by mother nature herself and you'll go oh yeah they're ready and then you probably have about three to four weeks because citrus is a is a really forgiving fruit it'll hang on for a while and they get they get better and better they really do so can you think of anything better than fresh orange juice in the winter and in the early spring or daily lemon juice for great GI health and seasoning of foods and salad dressings and fish and that kind of stuff. Even going back to lemonade days as a kid. My favorite, the Easy Peel Owari Satsuma Mandarin. Those are fantastic. Put them in kids' lunches and for your own lunch. How about a beautiful winter decoration after the holidays of citrus? You know, citrus in the in the bowl on the dining room table. Orange and orange yellows and all that kind of stuff. And as the plants and everything mature, eventually you're gonna have enough bounty there where gifts for friends and neighbors are gonna be available. And the list just goes on and on. Your imagination is the only limit. And we talk about healthy. You know, we've all heard about vitamin C and citrus. Yeah, it's there. But it also has great, great anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, eating them whole, just all the fiber that goes along with it for digestive health, and the flavonoid compounds that what I boned up on and studied on is great for protecting you against uh, cancers and brain diseases and that kind of stuff. So they're a great addition to anybody's diet. And I guarantee you, let them ripen on the tree and come off fully ripe. Yeah, there's a lot more health there. The homegrown and ripened fruits are so much more healthier, packed with all those nutrients rather than the, the pre-ripened store-bought stuff. They, you know, they're picked way before they're really truly ready so that they travel and package and don't bruise up and don't look bad when they get to the retail level. Many get, uh, artificially ripened uh, right before they hit the stores in some containers that uh, contain a, like an ethylene gas. And then they continue to color up and ripen. You know, that's why you see green bananas put out on the shelf. And then in a few days, all packaged in with each other there on the display shelf, all of a sudden they turn yellow. You know, that's the, that's the ripening process through the off-gassing. Many folks believe the whole fruit the whole fruit is more beneficial 
when you consume it than just the fresh squeezed juice. But you know, either way, do both, do both. But hey, fresh squeezed juice, you know, and then uh, a peeled orange, especially a ripe peeled orange or a Satsuma Mandarin, man, what a great treat. So my question again is, can you grow citrus? I'll tell you what, if you can, you should. You know, I miss those small trees that I had at Wheat Patch Ranch, I really do. They were a real blessing and responded well to the TLC I gave them, as I kind of outlined earlier. You know, the other thing you can do, the other thing that you can do is if you really miss it, do a greenhouse. Do a greenhouse with a little bit of heat and a little ventilation in the, in the hot summer months. And you can do citrus and a lot of other things year round there. And pump, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna cost a little bit, but if you really want it and it brings you pleasure and it brings you healthy, you know, you could do more than just citrus in a greenhouse, but built correctly, insulated correctly, heated, ventilated, my gosh, yeah, you could get a lot of really nice, nice citrus way up in the hinder yawns of the latitudes and the growing zones. You really could. Well, coming to the end of 2021 now, man, I've been hitting it hard. I've been hitting it hard for over 18 months now, and I've had a blast doing it. I very, very much appreciate the subscribers that uh, download the podcast, follow the YouTube channel, maybe hear me out over there on the Wisdom app once in a while. I hope that what you guys are getting is truly, you find some good educational value in it. You really do. But I'll be honest with you, I need a break. At the end of 2021 here, this will be my last production, my last episode for this year. I'm going to return to you on January 8th. We will resume a brand new, uh, recharged, regenerated, and obviously new coach for the upcoming year. I'll be doing some writing. We might have a couple of shorts come out on YouTube. I'd really appreciate if I could get a little more interaction as far as questions, as far as uh, actions between each other and create a little bit more of a community. I tend to find a lot of people are kind of a dine and dash. They listen to it, they get what they want and they move on, which is okay, I guess, uh, for the type of genre that this education provides. But hey, you know, drop a note, drop a note with questions. See me over on the YouTube channel. You can always email me, like I said, youryardcoach at gmail.com. Check out the website. Don't forget the book and course and the freebie step-by-step. And guys, I'll see you next year, 2022, and all that that year will hold. I, I hope it's a good one for me. I hope it's a good one for you and the world in general. I really do. Hey, as always, to your landscape success, I will catch up with you then. Appreciate it. Take care. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Yard Coach Podcast. Don't forget to head over to the website at youryardcoach.com where you will find more DIY landscape education, including the free 15-step DIY landscape checklist, Coach Matt's ebook called Landscaping Simplified, and the flagship digital course, Homescape 1.0. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email Coach Matt directly at youryardcoach at gmail.com. We'll see you right here next week.